0: We're adjusting the levels because last time it was recorded so low that it was really, really difficult to edit. Oh, so crap. he's he's editing. He's trying to fix the peaks and valleys so that they're noticeable. Way too much information <laughs> there for me. Are we going to have another uh, Halloween? Why special? problem
1: make when you no <laughs> problem have you don't want to make
0: the next one? Do you want to do uh, Al The
1: next
0: one, do you want to do uh, <laughs> scary stories for Halloween?
2: Sure.
0: Uh, well, it won't be the next one. It'll be the one after. So we have to collect all those up, and we'll have a scary Halloween one.
2: Our intro music should just be like the theme to like Halloween.
3: Okay. <laughs> We're going to have a Halloween spooktacular.
0: Spooktacular. For some reason, you're low. <laughs> Talk into your microphone again. I'm well, talking. I haven't adjusted
2: okay. them all because we kind of, you stopped talking and then started playing with your phones. And oh, Okay. <laughs> That was loud. (laughs) What was loud? (laughs) (laughs) This board is more sensitive. Yeah, it It picks up a lot more stuff.
0: It is much better.
3: So, I'm still having issues. I'm just going to do a countdown: five, four, three, two, one.
4: Hello, I am Sean. I am Troy. And this is Stamp Show, here today.
1: Look at them, madam. Have you ever in your entire life seen anything so beautiful?
2: I'm sorry, I don't know anything about stamps.
1: I can't stop this
0: feeling me
2: Girl, you just don't realize...
0: A stamp museum? Oh! Stamps?
1: Those are for snail mail! Stamps rule! I mean, suck! And look at this. It's a Bolivian airplane. Now it says it's worth 8 cents,
2: but really, it's worth 12. See that? Already ahead. Came right out of the blocks with a winner here, Chris. nice to meet you. What's going on, Shasta? You got a
3: book. Actually, it's a book of old stamps. What you got? Well, I have a stamp in here that I think could be an 1868 Benjamin Franklin Z Grill stamp.
2: Well, first of all, uh, I think it's fair to say that uh, I wouldn't be with you here today if I didn't have something to plug. I
1: got a couple from Israel and Azerbaijan. I
2: got a from Poland, but none from Sudan or from Fiji
0: Stamp collecting happens when we dream together.
3: Welcome to Stamp Show. Here today, episode ninety-five.
0: I'm Cash. Ninety-five episodes. Are we getting toward the end yet?
2: No. I'm Scott. And no. <laughs> One would hope not, or we'll all have to, you know, actually go home on time. This is Tom.
3: <laughs> and I am your host, Dawn. This week we will be discussing U.S. customs. So, looking conspicuous with that extra liter bottle of tequila you have in the trunk, and let's get to it.
0: I'm definitely going to listen to this one because I read ahead and I know Chester Arthur is coming up. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. We will also have Cat's Corrections and our expert topic will be on soaking stamps.
4: Don't use
0: tequila. Scotch. Well, Smuggle the tequila.
3: Well, back when I had cats, I, I used to uh, use cats. wine to clean the cat box.
2: Oh, I thought you meant... Cats with wine no, I thought you were soaking the cats in wine
3: No, no, I needed the wine so I'd be able to deal with the cat litter box ah. See, it depends on your perspective You could soak stamps on, with tequila You just have a shot of tequila and then soak your stamps
4: Just don't just soak d- your stamps in it tequila does
3: In tequila, right You can soak yourself in tequila Moving right along, right? On this day in history, in 1870, 146 years ago, the Siege of Paris was going on, oh and Leon Gambetta flees Paris in a hot air balloon with the mail. Who,
0: by the way, was the co-inventor of the Chaussette du Baird. Yeah, well, we aren't all French. Hold on, how is that pronounced?
4: I like that pronunciation.
3: You <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm, <I do. laughs> Yeah, why should we limit ourselves to mangling English? We can mangle other languages as well.
0: Oh, yeah. We have a
3: worldwide audience. Mm-hmm.
2: Now you just need to start reading their emails in worldwide accents. <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> yeah, sit so tight. We'll mangle your language soon enough.
4: When we're done mangling ours. <laughs> we're never going to be man- done
2: mangling ours. Mangling an ang... Man- never mind. <laughs> Mang- <laughs> wow. Speaking... Of, see, we can mangle our own <laughs>
3: Yes, we can. <laughs> I do it every podcast. Historically, balloons were used to transport mail from Paris during the siege of Paris of 1870 to 1871. About 66 unguided mail balloons were released from Paris to communicate with the outside world. Which the great majority succeeded in delivering their cargo, as the Prussian forces surrounded the city, telegraph lines were cut and messengers were captured, shot, or turned back. Two services were proposed: by ballon monté, which is a manned balloon, and ballon non monté, which is an unmanned balloon. In practice, only manned flights were used. Hold on, hold on. How how is that pronounced? Ballon monté. After the siege, Anglo-French scientist, Dr. Pierre Wesby, who is also a co-inventor of the Chosette du traveled to Burton-on-Trent, where in 1873 he started a business to transport mail across the Irish Sea to Dublin from England. It is not known how this venture turned out. The records of Wesby's company were lost in 1916, when a bomb from the Zeppelin L-19 destroyed them.
0: In other words, a balloon destroyed the balloon mail information. Is that ironic or is that coincidence?
4: It's a bunch of hot air. Hot air.
3: Oh! Mm -hmm. Balloon mail letters are available to collectors who are interested in French history. They run about 200 to 300 for a nice cover. And now listener emails we get emails at stamp show here today so some in the answer squad we've got no emails but we did get a snail mail from our good friend Patrick Reedy Patrick hi Hi Patrick hi Patrick Oh, my gosh. He sent us some chickens and dragons. I've got this absolutely gorgeous cover from uh, South Africa. Hold it up to the mic so everyone can Holding see Holding it. it up. And, I mean, this thing is just beautiful.
0: It's, and It's uh, got a cool-looking colored dragon snaking through a little souvenir that. sheet. Mm-hmm. And it's canceled from where?
3: Dragon Peaks in South Africa which is just it's so neat I absolutely love this. Cash got a bunch of chickens I got one
0: uh, I got a couple but the one very interesting one it's uh, on a French occupational issue from 1945 for uh, an exposition of agriculture and it's got a really cool chicken cancel on it with a two francs uh, French occupational stamp so that's really nice and then two other really nice items Yeah. Oh and well Scott
4: (laughs) You got something from the sea dragon
3: Got something from the sea dragon With the dragon on it It's very very cool And then um, we have some Cassius chickens and some Dawn's Dragons and (coughs) Now find a dragon sound (laughs) Now (laughs) (laughs) We need to get him on the show somehow
0: we do mm-hmm.
3: now it's time for hashtag stamp stories the US customs stamp of 1887 that's Scott's number RL1 to 9 so for those of you who have never left the country or uh, those who are in countries other than the US the customs is that long line you wait in when you come back from a foreign airline flight you step up to a person in a booth and they ask you if you are bringing back anything you bought in a foreign country You look at the agent in fear, not wanting to mention the ugly dress you bought in Egypt and shake your head no. Uh, Now, first of all, you know a man wrote this because there is just no way any woman is going to buy an ugly dress. It is not going to happen.
0: Why don't you say the, the beautiful frock with the tassels? Or or one of those metal string bikini things that uh, like Princess Leia was wearing. Again, because
4: I mean, you won't find those in Egypt. Oh
0: well. no, you will not. Well, you'll find them on Tatooine. That's sort of like Egypt.
2: Beauty is in the eye of the beer holder. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right.
4: I've been there a, a few times. What Tatooine? <laughs> no, beer holdering. Oh, okay. beer
3: holdering. <laughs>
2: Oh. Used to do role playing games, and the big thing in our role playing games was a drink until the orc looks pretty. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> I haven't played that
3: game. I think in my family you'd do that: hold my beer and watch this, and it never ends up very well.
4: Yeah, unfortunately, you wouldn't get your beer back <laughs> in my family. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you could get the
3: glass back, well, or the bottle my family, but it'd be empty. I don't think it would matter.
4: <laughs> well, not after the first few. Mm.
3: The custom agent then grabs you by the collar and shakes you so that all the contraband, including your ugly dress, falls to the floor. Well, not really. But it is very clear that they care nothing about you. They only care about the stuff you're bringing into the country. Yep,
0: that's, they, they want their cut. They, The U.S. government needs their piece of the action, even on ugly stuff. Yep,
4: and it doesn't matter if you're bringing it in or if you decide to mail it. They'll still still try to take your piece. Mm -hmm. Everything that comes into a port, by air, by sea, doesn't matter. If it's going to cross the border, they want their cut.
2: One lantern or two.
3: (laughs) Just
4: take half your oil.
3: What they're actually doing is enforcing tariff law. And for that, we have to thank good friend of the show and founding father, Alexander Hamilton. In the 1780s, the government had no taxes and lots of debt. So if you have no money and a bunch of ex-soldiers looking for their back pay, what do you do?
0: You run! You run!
3: And that is what they do. The Congress ran from city to city to avoid mad groups of ex-soldiers. They tried to tax once and it resulted in the Whiskey Rebellion.
0: That is a great name for a rebellion. I like that one.
4: What, everybody drank some whiskey and then decided they were going to shoot some politicians?
0: No, I I think it was they were... I like that kind of rebellion. (laughs) They passed a tax on stilled wine, I think it was, or something like that. Basically, whiskey.
2: The Secret Service is going to come visit us after what Scott just said, by the way. Oh, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Again?
0: Well, actually, to put (laughs) down the whiskey rebellion, George Washington actually led troops out. And everybody was so impressed with George Washington that immediately everybody, like, stopped rebelling and went up and, like, asked for autographs. What? Yeah. Oh. He put put it down just by showing up.
3: Anyways, Alexander Hamilton is recognized as the intellectual father of the customs by the National U.S. Customs Museum Foundation.
2: They have a museum of customs? Oh, yes. yeah. Oh, I love uh-huh. taxes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: Anyways, taxes were bad as we just fought a war about it and all. Uh,
0: yeah, don't, uh, spoiler alert, taxes are coming. And they're going up. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. That's the sound bite of the day. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Let's talk about government. Mm-hmm.
3: So the customs office had a huge role in the revenue for the country enforcing tariffs on imported goods. Today, though, not so much. In 2016, the customs office collected $3.5 billion. The IRS, on the other hand, collected $3.5 trillion. Mm
4: -hmm. Well, I know, I've paid both of them.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, me too. So anyways, back to the stamps. To understand them, let's look at how it is done today. Did you know that you can bring in $800 worth of foreign ugly dresses or whatever and pay no duty? Duty, she said. Duty. Seriously. Grow <laughs> up. Yes, though that ugly dress you were worrying about would have been nothing. From eight hundred to eighteen hundred, you have to pay three percent. So if that ugly dress costs one thousand dollars, you would have to pay customs duty of a whole whopping six dollars. She said duty again. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> gotta, yeah. get, gotta
4: get both of them, Yeah, that, was
3: worth, that was worth a reload. Y- you gotta get both of them, Tom. <laughs> both barrels. Well, that guy at the booth, remember him? Now he has to fill out a form in order to take your $6.
2: Which probably costs more than $6 to write the form out, in which case they're losing money just filling out the form. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, no, yeah. Because you gotta pay him. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm.
4: And you have to provide the facility, the paper, the pencil, the uniform,
0: and then he's got to like keep track of the six dollars and give you a receipt.
3: Yes. And knowing uh, federal employees, he would probably just shrug his shoulder and tell you to go on. Yeah. Not worth the paperwork.
4: Yep. Well, that would actually be saving the government oh. money, wouldn't it? Right.
0: So that's not going to happen.
3: Well, it's like <laughs> it's like class a- class action suits. Now you have that check. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I have a check on my wall. I got it from uh, eBay, from a class action suit, and it's for two cents. And mm-hmm. I never cashed a check. It's still there.
3: Mm-hmm. And my boss just got one, and I don't remember exactly what it was for, but he got $2. Ooh, rich. I know. Whoa. But come on, a check for two cents, I mean, it's not even worth the postage. Yep. It's ridiculous. Was that your phone that went off? Yeah, that was my phone. Cash! Why problem make when
1: you no problem have, you don't want to make
3: You are getting on us about our phones and yours goes off. Yours is always, you're always the (laughs) the one guilty of having the phone go off. That's
4: why he changed his ringtone
3: to frogs. (laughs) (laughs) You should change it to crickets. (laughs) It'd probably fit in just fine. Meanwhile, back at the podcast. So picture yourself back in 1887 flying on a dragon or something because they didn't have airplanes yet. You land at the dragon port and walk up to the customs person and hand him a paper saying you bought an ugly $1,000 dress on the form. Wait for it. Is it a $6 custom stamp? (laughs) Yeah, well, it didn't work and the stamp issue was seldom used.
4: Well, that's because the customs agents generally didn't use the stamp if you paid them in cash.
3: Yeah, they'd give you a bill.
2: Or they bucket the cash.
3: <laughs> Probably. Or both. So picture yourself on the dragon. Where are you getting the stamps from? Is there a flight attendant passing them out? If there is, then the flight attendant is a federal employee and she has to count and book the stamps. All this while hanging on to the back of a dragon. Who wrote this? Take a wild guess. <laughs> Cause like I said, no woman would uh, ever admit to buying an ugly dress. The issue didn't do well. Most people were just billed the duty and the ease for the small amounts collected was just a big hassle. She said duty again. By the way, you mentioned
0: uh, $800 exemption. Uh, That doesn't apply to cigarettes or alcohol. Uh, In the cases of cigarettes, you can bring in 200 cigarettes or one liter of alcohol. It doesn't mean that you can just bring it in. It means it's not taxed. So if you buy, uh, let's say, 12 bottles of tequila for 16 bucks in, each in uh, Mexico, at the border you declare one bottle. And
4: you have to drink the other 11. No.
0: <laughs> and the other ones you just have to pay 3%. So you owe at the border $5.28. And I know when I used to come back from Mexico, I'd bring a bottle and say, oh, I can't bring in anything else. Well, yeah, you can. You can bring in as much as you want. You just have to pay the customs on it.
2: Yes, you drink the other 11 bottles and end up sounding like, (laughs) Oh, talking about kids, like if you
0: go, you know, you have four, there's four people in your family. You got your, you, your wife, and your two kids. I have my
2: me. You have your me. I always bring my me with me. (laughs)
0: Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, you get four $800 exemptions, but you don't get four liter bottles of alcohol because your two kids don't count toward your alcohol limit. Which I think is kind of funny. But
3: they
4: do count toward your cigarette limit?
0: No, it doesn't count toward cigarettes either.
3: It kind of used to. My mom used to tell me stories about when she was a kid and my grandparents It would take, and my mom was the oldest of seven kids. No, oh. And I think at this time there's maybe four or five kids. And they go to Mexico and that's what they would do. They would just one for each kid. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't look good, you know, a four-year-old saying, that's my bottle of tequila. Well, I don't think they do that. I think they just kind of do a head count. Okay, there's six people, six bottles. Okay.
0: Well, I'm kind of curious, you know, if you did bring back 12 bottles, because I haven't done this. If you bring it back and you owe them like five bucks, what do you do with the five dollars? I mean, do they actually collect or do they say, "Uh," because I always heard the story that, you know, they dump bottles of alcohol on the street and stuff. But I've never heard that before. So I think that's an urban legend.
2: Oh, Why don't you take a trip down to Mexico this weekend and see if it works?
0: I think that's a good idea. Oh, by the way. And hey,
2: you can bring your kids with you and see if it works with the extra <laughs> bottles.
0: Yeah, Talking about uh, urban legends, um, duty-free shops. And yes, I just said duty. Anyway, that, du- that was supposed
2: to be before you said it, so it was kind of like the warning that you uh. <laughs> <come here. laughs>
0: Anyway, at a duty free shop, you save the 3% customs, which is, in my opinion, like a ripoff because there is, you're never going to notice a 3% savings. So overall duty-free shops? Yes,
2: but they're going to mark, since you're in the airport, they're probably going to mark it up about 150%. So you're actually... Mm -hmm. spending 147% more than you are saving three. Well,
0: it's actually worse than that because if you buy it at the duty-free shop, then you have to leave the airport. Because if you buy it at the duty-free shop and then get on an airplane...
4: You go through customs at the other end. You have to
0: go through customs at the other Mm -hmm. end and they'll charge you duty. (laughs) So you you only save the duty if you actually get off the airport.
4: You have to buy it as you're leaving the airport, yeah. mm-hmm. not before you take off. I want
2: to buy it before I can take off so I can have a bottle of scotch on the airplane with me. Right? As much yeah, as they, much as they charge. That.
4: They don't let you do that.
2: But I've already been through screening. The duty free shops are usually on the other side.
0: Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. But if you. Holy oh buy- crap, I just yeah. discovered a new industry. <laughs> <laughs> if you buy something in the duty free shop in Germany and then bring it back to the United States, you are what is called. Not taking, <laughs>
3: you are uh, foolish. Hammered, hammered. There you
2: are. You're <laughs> hammered. That's what I am.
3: Yeah. yeah. By the way, did you know that the Customs Enforcement was the first federal police force? Also, if you go to that customs person and scream about your Fifth Amendment rights about search and seizure, that man, they don't play by that book. If Customs wants to profile or unreasonably search you or whatever, they can. No Fourth Amendment or Fifth Amendment or Eighteenth Amendment. Um, Eighteenth?
0: Yeah, the Eighteenth Amendment is about women's suffrage, and we don't want any women to suffer.
4: We'll put that one in for cash's Corrections.
3: Yeah, I think my eyes hurt from straining from rolling them. (laughs) You're,
4: (laughs) You're the one who has to deal with him.
3: Yeah. There is entertainment value, though. (laughs) (laughs) As a side note, most federal stuff is under the Customs Department. In the old days, if Congress wanted to do something, they just said, put it under the Customs House. And so a bunch of stuff is under the Customs, including the Coast Guard. They had the power, the police, and the money, and they began to become very powerful because of this.
0: Yeah, this is where uh, Chester Arthur comes in, who's uh, my hero president. The New York Customs Office was, I would say notorious, but it really wasn't. They uh, put their friends, their political friends, into positions at the Customs Office, and they didn't even hide it. You know, today they'd go, oh my goodness, you know, you put that person in just because they're your friend. And back then it's like, yeah, what's your point? So the, the customs house just became incredibly important and in they named presidents, they had all the money and stuff and they put uh, Chester Arthur up. And then when he got to be the president, he said, you know, the presidency is more important than this political machine thing. I'm going to do what's best for the country. I'm not necessarily going to do what's best for the machine. And he did social reforms. He did uh, he, he did a lot of reforms that nobody would have done and uh, the famous quote was, uh, one person said, you know, Chet, that's not Chet anymore. In other words, he's not the political person that he used to be, now he's the president. and That's one of the reasons I like him, plus he was a good looking close horse guy. Yeah, there were some other people like uh, Melville, who was a drunk, he, uh, he got his start in the customs office, and also Nathaniel Hawthorne. He was the head officer of weights and gauges, so if stuff would come in, he would be responsible for weighing it or gauging it. And like if somebody would say, you know, that's uh, that metal is a little thicker. Uh, you know, hey, oh, you gave me a little tip here. Uh, yeah, that's the thinner gauge. Go ahead and take it through. I mean, they were incredibly corrupt, but everybody were, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, were. Yeah. in past tense. Well, as in they're not now. You know, there has to be corruption because there's so much drugs and stuff. And drugs, in the quantity that there is in the United States right now, they wouldn't be in if there wasn't some sort of corruption involved. But the uh, the openness of it now is much, much lower than it used to be. And they
3: do, you know,
0: they do limit it.
3: And in closing, Chester Arthur has been on every presidential series stamp issue, including the 21-cent Prexy issue of 1938. And now for Cash's corrections.
0: Well first of all, Chicago Pex is coming up and I wanna tell everybody again, uh that's November twenty eighteen to twenty one, I think. Eighteenth
2: to twenty one. I the totally miss I totally misread that on the thing. I thought it said chicken pecs.
3: <laughs> chicken pecs. <laughs> <Pax. laughs>
2: truly did. Everybody
0: come to Chicken Packs in Chicago. Uh, The 18th to 20th, uh, we're going to be there walking the floor. We're not going to have a booth. Uh, Our book of secrets is going to be up for the literature and also this podcast. We also put this podcast into the blog category. So that's pretty cool. Uh, Second thing, I have no second thing, so that's it. Oh, yes, you do. Oh,
3: (laughs) what do I have? The Ickes sign stamps. We were talking about that. We talked about sign stamps last week.
0: Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh Uh-huh. The Harold Ickes, uh, there was a issue. Well, stepping back, they made the parks perforated sets. And Harold Ickes, who was the Department of Interior secretary, he grabbed two sheets before they were perforated. He gave one of them to Roosevelt, and he kept one for himself. And the one he kept for himself, he cut up and gave to people and stuff like that. The Roosevelt one, nobody knows what happened. It probably got destroyed. Well, what happened is uh, everybody started complaining because these imperforated parks stamps were going to market. And so they the U.S. government actually issued them, and there are numbers 731 through 40, is the that The
4: perforated it? ones are 741, or no. 740 to 749. Okay. And the imperforate ones are 756 to 765.
0: So the imperforated ones were, again, a postal rarity that was reissued to destroy its value. Well, the Harold Dickies, he signed in the margins of the sheet that he originally got. So he he wrote Harold Dickies, Secretary of Interior, and then he dated them. That is a signature But that's not like what we were uh, talking about last time. That's one other signature that shows provenance. And it's sort of like the one on the uh, Doug Hammerskold sheet where he had people sign it strictly to determine provenance. So that's just one more signed thing that we missed in last episode of signed stamps. And that's it for me. Oh my God, who the hell cares?
3: And now our expert topic, soaking in water, bleach, H2O2. Hydrogen peroxide. Ah, lighter fluid, orange oil. Yep, how to soak stamps?
0: Well,
2: dihydrogen monoxide.
0: A person walks into a bar and says, I'd like some H2O. The person behind him says, I'd like some H2O2. And he dies. Mm-hmm. Oh, I actually do have a good joke. It's uh, for the magicians in the audience. Uh,
3: this is actually should
2: I good. throw out Should I throw up the tornado warning sign again? Uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I've been told this is a good one. Uh, I was uh, watching a Mexican magician, and he said, "I'm going to count to three and then disappear," and he goes. Uno, dos, poof, he's gone without a trace.
3: No change in the expressions either. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was one of his better efforts.
2: For those listening to our show who don't speak Spanish, trace is Three. <laughs> <laughs> So
0: anyway, back to soaking stamps.
2: I said never forget the funny. You forgot the funny.
0: Uh, I thought that was funny.
2: You're a magician. You would. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's probably true. Yeah.
4: So how come Tom's funner than Cash today?
3: <laughs> I don't
2: know. I'm just a funny guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Probably not in the right way, though. <gasps> so Cash.
2: No, but get, in the best way.
4: You, you get this stamp. <laughs> And you want to take it off the envelope, destroying postal history. Oh, no.
0: How do you do it? Well, it depends on whether it's a self-stick. If we're looking at classic issues. This is postal history. Okay, postal history, an old one. you
4: like 10s and 11s and 25s and 26s. So we'll say it's a
0: number 11. Here's what I do. I will take, now hydrogen peroxide is really good at cleaning up US number elevens, which are, uh, it's a metallic based red ink that they used. It's not a vegetable base. I will take normal water, I'll put a couple drops of dishwasher, dishwashing, uh, soap. I'll put a couple little drops of soap and then I'll put a little bit of hydrogen peroxide in it. So I make my own sort of mix and then I let them soak for overnight, I let them soak for a really super long time. What are you laughing at?
2: You totally did a Porky Pig moment. You're like, yeah, 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 soap.
0: Well, I was thinking dishwasher. Well, I was saying dishwasher soap, but nobody. I don't use dishwasher soap. I use the little pills now. You throw the pill inside of the dishwasher, so a little bit of liquid soap. And the liquid soap uh, makes it so that if there's any dirt or scum or anything, it also helps to uh, remove a bit of the uh, greasiness of the glue. And it makes your stamps just a little bit cleaner, not by scrubbing them, but just by, uh, I guess you're the scientist, it reduces the, (laughs) it it, it reduces, it does something on a, a uh, surface tension level that allows it to float away.
4: It breaks the molecular bonds of the glue.
0: That's it. So uh, that's what I do with U.S. number elevens.
4: Well, my personal opinion is, if you're if you're going to, u- you don't use anything other than water. I I don't I don't use soap. I don't use hydrogen peroxide. I I use water, and I will use warmer or cooler water depending on what I have. Uh, fugitive inks, I tend to favor cooler water.
0: Oh yeah, if it's a vegetable-based ink, I totally agree, don't put anything in but water.
4: Right, and so, and usually I get so much junk and dirt off that the stamps just brighten up naturally anyway because the, the water will get in there and it will relax the, the paper fibers and a lot of the dirt that's accumulated there will just float out anyway. And I generally try and do, I'll put them in a soak, and I might soak anywhere from five or 10 minutes to 20 minutes. But then what I'll do is I'll transfer it into a fresh bowl of water just to make sure that the crap doesn't readhere to the stamp.
2: Well now let me let me take it a step back. And I be-
4: also I also checked to make sure that all the hinges have come off.
0: Yeah.
2: I was gonna say I'll take it a step back because something that Scott just mentioned what he was saying was fugitive ink. We should probably talk about that briefly so people understand what exactly that means because there may be people out there that don't, and I don't know if we've discussed it before.
4: Well fugitive ink is ink that basically dissolves in water. And it can be used for a variety of reasons not the least of which was intentional usage to prevent reuse of stamps because if you soak the stamp, then the ink just kind of dissolves and now you don't have a stamp, you have a square piece of paper. Mm. And so you couldn't reuse the stamp. And that was, that was when they used it on purpose. Mm. Now, there are some inks that they didn't use. They used, but it wasn't a conscious decision to use that. And so those are you, – you really have to be careful with those. Sometimes they're footnoted in the catalog. Sometimes they're not.
0: My – I have I two they examples. They, I
2: don't, have, don't they have the little F or S with the circle around them? Those are for self-adhesive stamps.
0: Yeah. The, I, oh, they don't mention the other ones? The no. two that I – the 30-cent 1869 pictorial, the red ink – is highly fugitive not so that it would s- soak away for uh you know anti counterfeiting it just is an unstable vegetable right so you want to make sure that your 30 cent 1869 stamps you don't soak them that much the other this is the hard one is a 1900 or 1899 issue of great britain they printed those stamps green and they're sort of an olive green a deeper deeper color of olive green if you soak them in water and water gets on the face they turn very light yellowish green and this is a stamp that in the catalog maybe catalogs $600. Soaked it'll catalog $5. So you want to clean up the back of the stamp you do that mostly with either an eyedropper or you float the stamp very lightly and you remove the back crap in layers. But that's a stamp that if you, if you just throw it in and soak it, you will literally destroy 95% of the value.
4: I believe there's some Netherlands stamps where the ink doesn't dissolve, it flakes off. Mm-hmm. And that was intentional as well.
0: Or another one is the uh, $3, I think it's $3, the Mars Rover souvenir sheet. If you soak that, the ink flakes off. It gets crackly. Right. It gets really miserable.
4: You see that with a lot of self-adhesive stamps. It has to do with the way they're printed. Yeah. Um, that's not intentional. But uh, in, the, in the U.S., the ones to watch out for are the the two-cent small banknotes. And the postage dues, the small, uh, regular, definitive sized postage dues mm-hmm. of the uh, second design.
0: Yeah, there are quite a few of those that, if you soak them, the, it, it goes from a really nice, vibrant red to a, a deep red, actually. A deep, vibrant yeah, red. Nice. To just sort of ick. Pinkish. Yeah, pinky.
4: And yeah, it, like Fated I said, and, and And those, when you soak them, Uh, it's not an instantaneous running but you can see it if you use if you soak those in warm water and leave them for five minutes you'll actually see the ink streaming (laughs) off of the front of the stamp because it's just dissolving Um, those stamps I would definitely recommend cool water and I would stand there and watch it and two minutes what just enough to take the stuff off the back that's all you need and you you want to monitor it, and as soon as you see that starting to happen, you'd better get them out.
0: That yeah, that's a third one I should have mentioned was the postage dues. When you're soaking the small postage due stamps, you gotta. It's almost better to not even bother soaking them.
4: I'm still trying to fight a fighting to get a, a footnote or some sort of note in the catalog saying that many of those issues do. Yeah. Tend, tend to run when you soak them. Yes. And the editors just won't, don't want to put that in there for some yeah. reason.
2: You put them in the water, and as soon as they start yelling, I'm melting, <laughs> take them out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well,
4: they don't necessarily melt, uh, scream. You have to watch them.
0: Yeah, I don't like uh, soaking souvenir sheets because large pieces of paper will soak at different rates. They can, yes. And Mm -hmm. you'll get wrinkling, and you'll get bending, and you'll get water marks. You'll get water spots. I've I've had decent
4: luck with soaking souvenir sheets, like the Farley souvenir sheets, and things like that. Scott, seven twenty
2: nine, seven thirty. Stop. Good.
0: Come in. in. Yes. 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 Oh, bye bye Have a good weekend. <laughs> Have a good weekend. Okay,
2: love you. Bye-bye. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I've had decent luck with soaking the souvenir sheets in that a lot of times, because of their size, they get tiny wrinkles and things like that in them. And, but if you put them in water and let them sit for 15 or 20 minutes, it relaxes the paper fiber, Then you put them in a drying book, dry them. They come out flat, no wrinkles, no creases, nothing like that. And it just
0: really cleans them up. I actually, that's why I like soaking stamps for a long time, is because if you just soak like a souvenir sheet for like five minutes, it might come totally clean, but the water hasn't equally um, wetted the entire paper. And when you dry it, it'll dry odd. Right. You do have to you do have to soak larger items a little bit longer,
4: so that the absorption is consistent all the way through the item.
0: Yeah, I think a lot longer, but yeah. So that that's pretty much for water activated gum. Well, why don't we back up a second and talk about bleach? I don't
2: like bleach. Makes bleach white, is bad. Makes white stamps.
0: Yeah. <laughs> makes bleach. colors
2: change. Makes stinky stamps.
0: There's only one time when I ever use bleach. And I try to use very little of it. And that's when I'm soaking stuff off colored envelopes, like Christmas stamps. Well, here's the thing. Otherwise, I don't use bleach at all. Hydrogen peroxide is a form of bleach. Yes, it
4: is. And so why would you use a concentrated chlorine bleach when you can just use a little bit more hydrogen peroxide and you have a lot more control over the concentration because it's so dilute? Good point
0: probably should do that. All I know is that I've stopped using I stopped I using would stay bleach away a long bleach. time ago.
4: I would stay away from bleach. It,
0: I loved period. Ble- I loved Bleach, you know, when I was a uh, beginning collector, you'd have an ugly-looking stamp and you'd soak it in bleach and all of a sudden it would be fantastic looking. It's like yes, except that now you have totally distorted the stamp.
4: Well, I've seen a lot of stamps that have been bleached or partially bleached and some of the guys that do restorations they will use bleach to remove small toned spots and things like that. The only problem is you're restoring a stamp and if you don't disclose that it has been restored then it's you're defrauding the, the customer.
0: Well I don't think it's so much defraud but stamps just don't have white paper. Well, generally speaking. Some do and some don't. Well, go back. Some
4: issues, it's more common than others.
0: Yeah, but let's say most people collect stamps before 1930, let's say. Before 1930, if you have a stamp and it has nice bright white paper. It's either a reprint or it's been messed with. Yeah, it's been messed with. And that's the other thing, too, is when you put it under a UV or you put it in the VSC or something, bleach makes the stamp glow.
4: Oh absolutely that I mean modern paper is white simply because they add brighteners which are just another way of saying we put bleach in the paper making process to make the stamp look white.
0: But as time goes by it has a natural toning to it it's like having a cleaned coin. Right. If you clean a coin you destroy its value if you clean a stamp you don't destroy its value
4: it depends on how it, you clean it. If you clean yeah. it with be- bleach, you yeah. can destroy the value. Well... If you clean it with proper cleaning methods, water and things like that, then you don't destroy the value. Yeah, here's something... Unless that, you have fugitive ink.
0: Here's something that I just learned, and I learned this from uh, Stan Iceland, who... Hey, Stan, shout out to you. We just... Uh, last night, we were watching Mark's Brothers movie with him.
3: Mm-hmm. And Katrina.
0: And Katrina, too. hmm Anyway, he had some uh, book pages that were nice and framed up on his wall. And he said these had really bad water stains. Mm-hmm. And he had them soaked in lighter fluid, Ronsonol lighter fluid. I, I said, wow, that's interesting because I had this one stamp that had, it had stains on the back that looked, they're hard... It, It looked almost like little brown amoebas. I mean, big huge amoebas on it. It it was really disfiguring, it was really super ugly, and I couldn't figure out a way to get them off. And so I soaked them in lighter fluid, and I put some lighter fluid inside of a bottle, and then I sealed up the bottle because I didn't want all the lighter fluid, A, to evaporate, and B, to light my house on fire. And about three days later, I took it out, or four days later, And all those really bad brown tone spots, and I have no idea what caused them. It almost looked like rust. They were all gone. And this is the first time I ever used lighter fluid, so I'm still experimenting a bit with it. But that worked fantastic for these stains that I had on those stamps. And didn't discolor the paper. I mean, we we use lighter fluid all the time for uh, watermark detection. So we know it doesn't mess up the stamp. Um, This was on a used stamp, so I didn't have to worry about the gum. Well, I'm sure it was an older stamp as well. Yeah, it was an older stamp.
4: You you definitely don't want to do that with uh, modern stamps because the modern printing techniques, the lighter fluid will cause problems.
0: Yeah. Well, I also know Carl Schaff. He originally showed me to uh, get the self sticks off the paper. He would soak him in lighter fluid for a huge amount of time.
4: Well, yeah, you can do that. Uh, you know, we've talked about self stick removal before, but chemicals like bestine and things like that are highly flammable, and they're uh, highly they're they're very big health hazards. Mm-hmm. And you just don't want the stuff around. Yeah, and so that's why the orange oil is the be- better choice for those.
0: Oh yeah. The orange oil, uh, pure citrus is what we use, and you get that at Home Depot.
4: But you're still dealing with the fugitive inks, mm. i.e. the, the cancel inks that run. Oh, yeah, yeah, Because Because yeah. they, they use those sprayed-on cancels. Yep. And they run. And so it's it's nice when you get stamps on a package and they're canceled with black ink because mm-hmm. they don't use the sprayed-ons for the packages. They use actual... Hand stamps, usually.
0: Well, the little meter stamps, the, uh, they had the oh. Charlie Brown, they had the Sp- yeah, uh, Spider-Man the, yeah, and Yeah, the,
4: the printed indicia stamps. Right. Those, lighter fluid will completely, or the orange oil will completely get rid of the, the black.
0: Uh, both of them will. Yeah, both of them <laughs> <laughs> there, There's no way to keep a cancel on those things.
4: Right. Well, there's, and those are self-stick, so there's yep. no way to get them off without destroying the the actual cancel. stamp itself so Just straight on cancel well it's not the cancel it's the the indicia that's printed when you when you go to print your stamps oh yeah yeah that that stuff goes away too yeah and so you, there's no i don't I don't have a way that I'm comfortable with yet for soaking those off piece
0: i think that there is going to be some stamps in the scott's catalog that you just have a note on them saying leave these on paper
4: well they do because they assume you're going to soak your stamps in water yeah and so they do they actually have a little s in a circle for those stamps that don't stamp that don't soak well in water and they come out damaged yeah and so but we're not talking about using water
0: no 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 well there's a couple of those like uh well a couple of the odd items uh people's republic of china people are starting to collect much much more and the early used issues you can't soak them off because you have no idea what gum they used because they were issued without gum so the person would put you know shellac or whatever on the back of the stamp and glue it in place and so a huge number of those mint no gums When they're used, you just have to keep them on the piece of paper because there's no way to remove them. Right. Uh, The second thing is uh, with German stamps, they had a highly acidic gum. And so a lot of times they will, you know, it'll be issued with gum, but they say, you know, if you leave the gum on the stamp, it will damage the stamp. And the famous one there is the Astropa souvenir sheet. And I saw one that had full gum.
4: That and the Zeppelin stamps.
0: The Zeppelins also, yeah. But the astropa sheet I had, it was very interesting because the gum literally made it leather. It felt like leather. it
4: turned dark brown Mm -hmm. and got kind of grainy looking.
0: Yeah, it it gets that leathery texture and it's just all from the gum. But it
4: has that sulfuric acid in it. Yeah. And it just eats into the paper. Yep. And so you definitely want to get rid of the gum on those. Now, I think I do have a set of the Zeppelins with full original gum. And they are worth quite a bit more oh, yeah. with the gum on them. Yes. But it's not something that I would keep in my collection. It was some, it's something that if, I, if it, I bought a collection and they were in there, it's something that I would turn around and want to get rid of.
0: Yeah. I, had a, I got a set of the Zeppelins, and they had full Mint Never Hinged gum. And they were just stored some way where it didn't destroy the stamp because I've seen plenty of them. That and have and it's been likely brown that and ugly.
4: It's likely that just it, no air got in there, so nothing reacted with the gum. And as long as you keep them sealed up and stored away, they're yep. going to be fine. Yep. But just don't you know once they get a taste of it, being out in the fresh air, you, you're going <laughs> to
0: yep. go downhill
3: pretty fast.
0: Yep. Well, I think that's about it.
3: Next week, we'll be talking about duck stamps. We would like to thank the following for information used in this podcast. Wikipedia, the Sescal Stamp Show, the American Philatelic Society, the Stuff You Should Know podcast, the National U.S. Customs Museum Foundation, and the Backstory with American History Guys podcast. Thank you for joining us for episode 95. This has been Cash, Scott, Tom, and I'm your host, Dawn. You can reach us with your questions or comments at stampshowheretoday at gmail.com, Twitter at stampshowht, or leave a message on our Google voice number, one nine four nine eight seven three four two nine eight. 873 4298 You can also check out our website at stampshowheretoday.com, or follow us on Facebook or watch us on YouTube. And as always, keep collecting.
1: This episode of Stampshare here today is brought to you by the Philatelic Book of Secrets, the book that teaches you about repurse, regums, color varieties, and much more. Get yours for ten dollars at www.philatelicsecrets.com today. Hello, everyone. My name is David Kugel, and I am one of the co owners of Daniel F. Kelleher Auctions and Kelleher and Rogers Fine Asian Auctions. We provide boutique auction services to 100% of the philatelic market. All collectors with collections as little as $5,000 to collections reaching well into seven figures. We sell to more collectors than any other auction firm. Our diverse mailing list of active bidders is the world's largest. This is evidenced by higher prices realized due to collector competition and more underbidders. See for yourself at our website, www.kelleherauctions.com. We are the only American-owned international philatelic auction firm with offices in the United States, United Kingdom, and Hong Kong. We are also the publishers of the Kelleher's Collector's Connection, already one of the premier magazines in philately with a worldwide circulation. Any collector may subscribe without charge. Call, visit our website, or email us now. Let us work for you. The results will speak for themselves. And you can contact us toll-free in the United States at 877 877- 877 316 2895. We are so delighted to be one of this podcast hosts today and really, really encourage you to enjoy Philately, the hobby that allows one to enjoy life and live longer. No such
3: number, no such soul.